Take your copy of God's Word this morning and turn to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. As God challenges us this morning as we come together, as we think about our relationship with Him and how that relationship works out in different avenues, different contexts, but especially as that relationship works itself out in the family context. You know, uh, over the last few weeks in particular, we have talked about multiplying our relationship with God, of coming closer to Him and in every venue. And we've talked about different spiritual disciplines, but also... As we discussed last week, somehow the relationship that we have with God, that vertical relationship, informs our horizontal relationships. And that relationship should be something that is dear to us 24 hours a day. Maybe it's in the workplace, as we again discussed last week. But also, it should be in the context of the family. The relationship that we have with God, it plays out in everything that we do in everything that we are and especially as we relate to one another in the family I think King Solomon finally understood that it took him a while just as it takes many of us a while but I think King Solomon finally understood how the relationship with God informs the relationship with inside the family look in Psalm 127 as we hear Solomon give this testimony this is his this is his testimony. This is his witness. This is what he says. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Now listen to what Solomon says. He's talking, I think, primarily about the family. And he says that God is the one who builds the family. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that Solomon would talk about building. He was one of the grand builders of the Old Testament and even of the New Testament. He was one, he could, he could build cities. Of course, he built a palace. And as we know, with the heart of David, he built the temple itself. He was all about building and constructing. He knew about those things. So he uses this analogy here. He says, unless the Lord builds a house. Now, when he's talking about building, building a house in particular, he is also connecting it to the idea of a family. Too many biblical critics have tried to separate verses 1 and 2 from verses 3 through 5. They believe in some ways these are two distinct different psalms because the first few verses, well, they speak about this idea of a house and building, and then the last part speaks about children. And so they have disconnected those verses from one another. But that is unnecessary. Actually, when you look at the context of it, you understand that Solomon, he was talking about the family the whole time. He might be talking about the house, but he's talking about the family. And he says, unless the Lord builds the house, or unless the Lord builds the family, God is the one who builds the family. 
God should be at the center of who we are as a family. Now, I know most of us agree with that. Most of us could amen that if you were amening kind of people, which you're not. But, you know, (laughs) most of us would say, absolutely, we believe that God should be at the center of the family. He should be the foundation of our family. But that should be more than a motto for our families. It should be more than just a statement. It should be more than just a theoretical word. When we say that God is at the center of who we are, it should be part of our identity and it should be a part of our practice. In other words, a lot of us in our families would say, yes, we believe God is at the center of what we should be doing. We might even have the motto hanging in the house. I mean, you walk in, you see something like, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's kind of the word. That's the, that's the statement that we've made. But my question to you, and the question I think to me and to my family is, is that the reality? Do we truly find our identity in God? Do we truly find our practices rooted in God's Word? Because it's one thing to say something, it's another thing to practice it in our lives. And notice again, he says, unless, and then he says again, unless the Lord builds. He says, unless, unless he's at the center, unless he is part of your identity and your practice, you are going to find frustration in your life. You know, the Bible is so practical. I I hear people talk about the Scripture and applying it, but it is so easy to put it into practice. Well, let me say, it is so easy to understand how we should put it into practice. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have exactly what we need to practice God being at the center of who we are. Let let me give you an example of this practicality, I think. Let's think for a moment uh, Paul's words to the Ephesians. Paul challenges those who are husbands, those who are wives. Then he challenges parents and he challenges children in some very practical ways. Listen to what he says to husbands. He says to husbands that you ought to love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's what he says. Think how practical that is for a moment. Some say, well, it's so general. We, we, need more, we need more practicality. No, if you really think about this, as Christ loved the church, and then he fleshes it out for us, he says that you would love your wife in such a way that you would be willing to lay your life down for her. Or that you would love your wife in such a way that you love your own body. So that you would, just as you would not harm your own body, you would not harm her. You know how practical that is? I I have some young adults sometimes, uh, different aspects of my ministry say, Oh, we need to offer more classes on communication. And we all ought to offer more like practical classes on how to do things. And and, and look, I'm all for those, okay? 
I need all the how-to-do instruction I can get, okay? Actually, I, I think I'm going to show up at one of Jason's classes coming up. Leslie has suggested I do that. So I'm going to try to do that. All, all for those, those kinds of classes. Nothing wrong with it. But get this. If we, as husbands, love our wives as Christ loved the church then it should play out into our everyday practice. If we somehow grow closer to our relationship with the Lord and that comes out in our lives, then that should demonstrate itself active every day. In other words, my communication should be affected by my idea that I'm going to live a Christ-like life. Who I am and the way I relate. See, it's not just in theory it should be in practice that we live out the love of Christ. See, that, that's practical. Th- that's practical for everything that we do. Wives, as Paul speaks about respect of the husband. Parents, those of us in this place who've been called to parent our children... He gives us instruction about not exasperating them to anger, provoking them to anger, but to love them and to demonstrate patience and guidance in who they are. Children, to be obedient to their parents. That's some practical stuff, right? Maybe that's some practical stuff our culture needs to hear today. Is that the Scripture scripture can speak And as you put God at the center, as he builds your home, it works itself out. Again, unless God builds the home, unless he builds the home, we experience frustration. Listen to the words that Solomon will use. He'll speak about this idea of doing things in vain. He'll say, they labor in vain who build it. The watchman stays awake in vain. And if you look at the original language, that phrase, in vain, it actually begins that line. So you could read it something like, in vain, they labor who build it. In vain, the watchman stays awake. Why would he place it there at the beginning? I think because that should be the emphasis. That if we do it apart from God, or we try to do it apart from him, everything in our lives will be in vain and especially our family life it'll it'll bring about emptiness and frustration the idea that solomon paints is that here you are you are doing all you can all kind of self-effort all kinds of um, self-esteem attitudes about who you are you can do this you can make it happen and you work harder and you work harder and he says You still do it in vain. Let me ask a question here. Have you ever been assigned a task and you went about that task with everything that you had and it just seemed like nothing was getting done and you just grew more and more frustrated? Nobody? Nah. Didn't happen to you? I, I mean, maybe your boss said, hey, I want you to do this. So you gave it everything that you had. You worked and, and, and you thought about it. You tried to get, and it just seemed like 
you could not complete the task or it wasn't exactly like you wanted it. Or let's bring it down just a little bit. Maybe more to an elementary level, which I'm upon, you know. <clears throat> let's think about like putting together something. Any of you ever put that together a swing set? <sighs> that has to be a work of the Holy Spirit in your life if you do that. Your testimony will be challenged. Probably a good thing not to have the children around when you're doing this. As they will see your frustration. frustration. You know, you put together this and you put together that. And now it's not in the right place. And use the wrong screw in that area. And, and, and does this sound like personal testimony to you? Uh, it's a little close to home to me probably. I mean, you just put together things. You think you can do it all on your own. You, and, and some of us guys, I mean, come on. Why do we need instructions? I don't know why they put them in there, in that box. We don't need those things. We can do this on our own. Self-effort, this self-promoted attitude we have, we, we can make this happen. <clears throat> Unfortunately, what many of us do is apply that same attitude to our families. Oh, we can do this. We can make this happen. Oh, we got an issue, an obstacle. Hey, all we got to do is work harder. Something's happening in our marriage. Well, we can work it out on our own. We can do this. Our family, our kids, we've got issues. Hey, all we got to do is work harder, study harder, read more books. You know, we'll make it happen. Unless the Lord builds the house. Unless the Lord builds the family. Unless the Lord is involved in decisions, in actions, in practice, unless the Lord does those things. We labor in vain. We think in vain. We decide in vain. We will be so frustrated. You've been there, I've been there, trying to do things on our own in our spiritual lives. Maybe is it related to work? And yes, maybe is it related to the family? We thought we could work it out on our own. Only to realize, only to realize we do these things in vain. Unfortunately, I believe Solomon learned a very painful lesson in his life. You read Solomon, you read about his life, you probably don't think of him as the poster boy of family values. You probably don't think about him writing a self-help book for families. You don't think about him addressing. He's not a Kevin Lehman, okay? He's not going to be. No, that's not the guy you think about. He's not a Dr. James Dobson. Solomon. And yet Solomon pins these words. I think out of a heart of pain. Think of experience of difficulty that he had frustration as he had seen how he could build so many other things i mean he could put up some of the most elaborate beautiful structures israel had ever seen and yet it was through pain that he was able to identify 
this testimony and write these words. And to understand that God has to be at the center. Not just in word, but also in deed. Not just in statement, but in practice. Unless the Lord builds. Because otherwise, it's just vanity. I, I love verse 2 because it says, It is vain for you to rise up early. I like that verse. I quote that one. I memorized that one early on. He said, You ought not have to get up that early. Maybe a little out of context, but hey, it serves my purpose, right? It is vain for you to rise up early, to set up late, to eat. In other words, for you to keep going and trying to work and do all these things on your own, he says, you, you just, you staying up late about it, you're trying to get up early, you're trying to do whatever it takes, but again, you do those things in vain because it is God. Oh, again, one of my favorite aspects here. For so he gives his beloved sleep. I love sleep. <clears throat> it's one of the best spiritual disciplines I have in my life. <clears throat> he gives his beloved, which... If you look at the name that God gives to Solomon, you remember this? Some of you may be reading through the scripture right now and you came across this, that God gave Solomon another name, Jedidiah, which means something like beloved or beloved. It's almost like he puts himself here in his testimony. He says, hey, even for the beloved, even for me, God gives me rest couldn't do it on my own so in the family life as you labor for him as you build your house upon him you find contentment and rest and sleep because beforehand it was all a flurry of activity that just brought frustration a loss of energy but now you can find rest and contentment because your family is built upon him so god builds the family. And then I think he says that God blesses the family. God builds the family, and then it says that God blesses the family. Verse 3, it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. I believe what I said earlier, that every child that is born, every child that is conceived, every child is a gift from God. I believe everyone's a blessing. Uh, children are blessings to us. I got back late last night uh, from Jasper, Arkansas. Any of you ever been to Jasper? Yeah, well, you must have uh, increased their population twofold if all of you went somewhere. We were with some of the uh, Rustin gang, as you know, the father-son canoe trip that goes on here. Uh, I think they had about 294 up there. About, I think, 274 were temple members. Uh, didn't it look like that, John, when you were up there? You came back last night, too. So only a few of us came back for church. I started to have another campus revival up there, you know, uh, this morning and just stay up there and preach. Um, but it was a wonderful time, you know, boys with me and we were canoeing and and of course I knew this passage was the passage that would be addressed today and working through so it probably had a little more meaning to me of thinking about my boys thinking about my girls and thinking about the blessings that they are in my life I probably speak about them too much I probably do but I don't apologize sorry don't do that because I love my kids 
They are blessings to me. And just like your kids. And they should be. Our culture today, I don't think our culture today really esteems children like it should. Actually, today in our culture, children can be almost like threats. Threats to personal liberty. Or they can be economic liabilities for so many people when they think about children. They think about all the obstacles. They think about, in some ways, how it can be a nuisance to their life. But that's not the biblical view of children. God blesses children. And God blesses the family. And, and in so many ways, He blesses the family through children. Okay. I got one amen a moment ago. I'll get a bunch this time. Because... God blesses the family through grandchildren. Yeah, see, I knew that was going to work. I know it was sensational, and I should not have used that or moved, but it was manipulative, but I still, it was good. I'm proud to hear you all say that. God blesses the family. He blesses the family through children and through grandchildren. Each child is a blessing. We ought to give God thanks. We ought to praise Him. I mean that when I come together with my brothers and sisters. We see these children. We'll dedicate more children in the 11-15 gathering. And I'm thankful because I recognize the challenges that we go through even as we see these children come in to our world. The challenges that could be there. It's, it's a blessing that God grants health. It's a blessing that God allows us to see these children thrive. And we give him thanks and recognize that they're blessing. Hey, they are rewards. They are a heritage from the Lord. They're blessings. And not only are they blessings to us, but they are blessings for the whole world. And especially for the culture in which we live. Look at this analogy that Solomon will use. He says in verse 4, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. He uses this idea that, that children are these arrows that have been placed in your hands. You, a warrior. See, this is one of the reasons I love this psalm. Because it talks about sleep. It talks about rest. It talks about not getting up early, and then it calls me a warrior. It's the only place that I have ever been called a warrior before. It says, I'm a warrior, and I have an arrow in my hands. And that arrow is my child. An arrow that can, that can somehow pierce the darkness of the culture. An arrow that can be a weapon against an ungodly culture that is developing around us. Now, just think about this analogy with me for a moment. An arrow you hold in your hand for just a few moments. And you're able to direct that arrow. You have a specific target in mind and you, you direct that arrow toward that target. There should be direction in your child's life. And you, as a parent primarily hold them and influence that direction. Well, I will, I'll just let them find their own way. 
I, I just don't think we should be so influential. They, they need to find their own way spiritually. Do you know how disastrous that thought is upon your child's life? It is so destructive. Think about it if you applied it to other areas. Let, let's say, you know what? I think I'll let them figure out this math, English, this reading thing all on their own. Do that. You know, they, they, they can do it. I, I, have, I have faith in them. They don't need me. They don't need, probably don't even need teachers. You know, they, they can do it. They might can figure out some things and do, but most of us in this place, we would not even consider that. We want to make sure that our children are as educated as they can be, right? Would we not? Most of us in this place. Let, let's say you're sitting around the campfire with your three or four-year-old. Do you say, hey, I think I'll let them find out for themselves what pain fire can bring no you don't do that you don't do that how destructive and disastrous and yet yet all of that same philosophy is the philosophy we use when it comes to the spiritual well-being of our children and we say we'll just let them determine but of all areas that they need direction of all areas that we should be influencing them of all things that they should see our walk with the lord it should be in their spiritual lives we need to direct them because they are the arrows in our hand and we only have them for a moment. I'm not calling you to break the arrow or break your child. We are to bend them in the right direction. Not break them, but bend them so that they will be pointed toward the target so that they might fly. So that they might hit that which God has intended for them in their lives. Direct them and guide them. Because the reality is, once you let the arrow go, it's virtually impossible to catch it mid-flight. And to start over again. You got one shot. You got one shot. Make it count. Make it count. And if you do, I'll hold the joy and the happiness. Look at this. Because the blessing, as I said, is not only for the family, the specific immediate family, but also for the culture itself. Verse 5. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed. But shall speak with their enemies in the gate. He says. Happy blessed are those. Who have a quiver full. Now. I, people have said now. How many can a quiver hold? I don't know. I'm thinking four. But I don't know. But as many as, as God grants you and God gives you and to recognize, I think it's an awesome thing that God would give us children and grandchildren and to give us numbers of them. I remember when 
we uh, called my parents and told them that we were having number four. My dad said something like, Reggie, how many kids are you going to have? I said, Dad, why are you asking me this? Didn't you have like, weren't, weren't there like seven of you all? I can't remember exactly, but weren't there like seven of you all? And he was like, yeah, there were. But understand, they had us for a workforce back then. You understand? Like, they couldn't hire people for the farm and all, so we just, we were their workforce. And Okay. Look, God has to direct each and every one of us to how many children and has to bless us in his own way. But may I just say this to you? Don't allow economic issues or threats to your personal liberty to drive your decision on childbearing. What's happened to too many of us today is we have bought into the consumerism and materialism of our nation. And we have said, oh, we can only have so many because we can't afford any more. Hmm. How so many of us are robbing ourselves of true blessing. Now, again, God directs you and guides you on your own decision. But let him decide. Let him work in your life. You listen to him and follow him. Because I think the more children that we have raised in a godly way, the more children, well, they're like the more arrows we have to fight against an ungodly culture that we see around us. That's what's amazing. Is that one day you can have happiness and blessing because hopefully and prayerfully you can see them standing and speaking the truth, standing for Christ in a world that is so dark, being the light that will pierce that darkness I'm convinced that's one of the ways that we will be able to really transform our culture by raising a godly generation behind us so many of us get caught up on voting for the right candidate but may I say to you that the best thing you can do to make a difference in the culture is raising a godly child you get worried and you get frustrated about all the things going on. Listen to what Solomon says. Solomon says, if you want to shoot an arrow, if you want to make a difference, then you raise a godly child that will stand toe-to-toe with the forces of darkness, that will speak the truth, that will be empowered by him, by God himself. To make a difference. We'd see that difference. If we would raise those godly children and grandchildren. God builds the family. Put him at the center. Leave your frustration. Find contentment in him. God blesses the family. Primarily through children. Today. Let's not just. Speak that in theory. Today, let's not just make a statement. But today, let's live that out in our lives and practice it in the relationships of the family. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you and praise you. Already we have 
demonstrated our gratitude to you for the children that have been presented. But Lord, we also thank you for all of our children here in this place and our grandchildren and those, Lord, that may live some distance from us. We thank you for those. God, we come to you this morning and I pray that we commit ourselves to you, our families, that our decisions, our lives are based upon you, not just or not just in word, but also in deed. And God, I pray this morning that we would come and renew ourselves and renew our families before you. Too many of us have been frustrated. Too many of us are trying to do things on our own. God, today we surrender it to you. We surrender our families to you. And we ask you to use our children and our grandchildren. Lord, as we point them in the right direction, just as the arrows in our hands, God, I pray that you would help them as they fly well and that they fly straight to the target as they grow up to reflect your image. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We pray now that you'd work through this invitation, this commitment. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?